The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast, where P-Nate and Pootie do the thing where we talk into the microphones, and Dave does the thing on the dials and makes it sound good. How you doing today, <laughs> Nate? I mean, you can only fix it so much, so the content has to be okay, but he definitely makes it sound like we know what we're doing. He definitely does do that. He takes out all of my pauses and all of my breathing. So that you sound far more... Uh so you probably just took out the um that I did. <laughs> now we're Makes second, it sound more thoughtful. It does. It's going to second guess everything we do for That's this true. entire episode. Everything now that our listeners are kind of brought behind the veil, it now it just all seems like smoke and mirrors. It's yes. like, are they really as witty? And how many takes do they do? You like the, you you have like no the idea. Phrase, you like the phrase smoke and mirrors. I prefer cloak and dagger. I like that. Yeah. It's all cloak and dagger for us. I so think It makes us totally sound more like spies than podcasters, which I'm into. It fits, I guess. We're in ministry, so. A side note: I, I don't know That's why terrible. spies re, uh, reminded me of this, but have you read any of the Doug Wilson pirate fiction? No, it's on my list. I man, just it's so out, good. I just started it. It's I, so good. I just found out that that was a thing. It is a thing. Yeah, Doug Wilson and pirates. It's like ham and tuna fish. What what, what can't he do? <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. Does anybody write more books? Like, I feel like every week there's a new book by Doug Wilson that's coming out that I'm See, like... See, read Plotactivity and you'll know how he does it. I have read Plotactivity yeah, twice. Yeah. I had to plod through it twice. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, we are the Rebels and thanks for tuning in. We are part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. The best place for you to get all the content on the network is to download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. And if you want to give back to the show, you can uh, check us out on uh, patreon.com slash reformed rebel. And uh, we don't have like Patreon exclusive content. That's that's a pipe dream at this point. <laughs> I, no, wait, pipe dream is what will never happen, right? Yeah, pipe dream is a thing okay. that never will happen. Okay, so it's not that. It's a future reality. Sure. Like at the end of the day, like when, once we get a uh, recording studio in-house and, you know, we hire a bunch of underlings to do the, all the medial tasks of ministry. Or um, we just start paying. Where we can just <laughs> pontificate. Yeah, that's true. We could do. <laughs> shh, don't say, don't say that too loud. He's right there. We'll get um, an invoice. It'll be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we are actually just following up our little marriage miniseries. Seems like it's been helpful to a lot of people and it's also rattled some cages. So not unlike our other episodes, but uh, we got some questions. So we thought we'd do sort of a Q&A episode to uh, respond to some of the questions that we had coming in concerning marriage. But just by way of reminder, we just did three-part miniseries on marriage. We talked about just general principles in marriage early on. I mean, the big thing for that, if I could say anything that we're losing in terms of like big foundational statements for marriage, is when you lose the specific gender roles that God has designed into marriage, when men stop being men and women stop being women, marriage gets to be a muddled mess. 
So we talked about some main principles, uh, guiding principles. Then we talked about mission was the second episode. A marriage without a mission is a marriage that's destined to fail or a marriage that's destined to be unfruitful or unhappy. And so we talked a little bit about making your marriage about something and having a mission. And then the last episode, which was by far the most popular with our male <laughs> listeners, <laughs> um, was the, uh, the episode on sex. So those are kind of the three places that we've been. Obviously, we have not exhausted the issue of marriage, as some of these questions will indicate. But we did get some questions, which I thought were fairly good ones. Anything you want to plug before we get into a few questions, Chris? Yeah, oddly enough, the last episode was the one that was most shared to male to female. (laughs) (laughs) Husbands were like, you should listen to this, honey. Um, Oh, boy. And then uh, the women wrote us some questions. So (laughs) so we'll talk about those. I lost more friends. Um, (laughs) Okay. So we had a, a, one of our listeners who shared the episode with uh, a friend in his life. And so I just want to kind of respond to some of the accusations. I, accusations is maybe a strong, but some of the pushback, I'll say. So the overall, after listening to a couple of the episodes, was, was sort of like, these guys seem to be stretching scripture beyond what it actually says about what men and women are born slash meant for and what they should slash should not do. They seem to be stuck in a post-World War II, pre-1970s model of what homemaking is, how the family should look and operate, and even how husbands and wives should relate to each other, which sounds very spiritual and even ideal, but goes well beyond what the Bible actually says about roles slash marriage slash family. And then there's some more dialogue. We don't want to give away the identities of any of these people, but then there's a little bit more questions. And then he asked this, this, or sorry, they, they asked this. I just wonder what they would have to say to all the women in past centuries whose husbands had to go to war or sea for months or years at a time, for instance. So first of all, let's talk about the exceptions because that's a totally separate story, right? So what happens when a man has to go off to war, a man has to go off to sea or whatever? What happens in the home life when gender roles get disturbed for whatever reason? And you can lump all kinds of things into this category. We have a bunch of our listeners who are unmarried. And so they're delving through this series. And we tell people all the time, if you're not thankful for the gift of singleness, it means you don't have it. Go find a husband, go find a wife. I get that there's a whole lot of difficulty associated with that for some people. We're not saying that there isn't. But all I'm saying is that just because we put the family so high doesn't necessarily mean that those without families right now don't have a place in the kingdom. We often talk about the importance of child rearing and Chris and Heather don't have kids, are unable to have kids as well. And so we just say like, not every family looks the same. We live in a broken world and there's a place for everybody in, in God's kingdom. So let's start there. And now let's talk a little bit about the husbands who go off to war, the husbands who go off to sea, or the wives whose husband passes away, the husband whose wives pass away. Obviously this looks a little bit different. So let's talk a little bit about the exceptions first, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say, too, we could spend an entire episode just caveating everything we say, and that's just not fruitful for anybody. There's always exceptions. And so, like, if you find yourself in that category where an exception would apply to us, the best thing you can do is reach out and ask a specific question about your circumstances so we can address it directly because we're speaking generally rather than specifically to each individual person, I would say. Right. Um, We're giving guiding principles, not like exactly. So, in terms of when a man goes away to war and has left, a woman at home to do different things. Obviously the role is going to expand in that time, right? The authority hasn't transferred. It hasn't shifted, but she might have to change the light bulb in the house. Right. Um, that's probably a bad example. Yeah, but I mean, but like, no, those are the kinds of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And so we're not saying that's sinful for her to do. We're not saying in any way, t- shape or form that she shouldn't do that or she should find another man to do that because 
there are times in the world where widows are a thing. That's where the church should come in and help. Yes. Like this is why one of the, the mandates, like real religion is this, those who help the orphan and the widow, right? So the church then becomes surrogate father, a surrogate husband in that area to help out with those kind of tasks so that she doesn't have to become the man in her home. So like when he returns, hopefully Lord willing, if he's at war, he returns. Right. It isn't a reshift of power. She doesn't have to change who she was. That's kind of the first thing I would say on that. Totally. And and one of the things that I would say is this also highlights to us the wickedness of war, right? Like sometimes war is necessary, but it is evil. It's, it is wicked. It's not like there's a reason why the eternal state, the nations will have beat their swords into plowshares, right? Because God's world free from sin is a world without war. And so the fact that husbands go off and leave their homes is sometimes necessary in the course of human history in a sinful world, but it's not ideal. And same thing, when a husband dies in a, you know, has a heart attack late in life, when a wife dies in a car accident and leaves behind her husband, there are going to be changes to their roles, but that's because of what sin has done. And if anything, that shouldn't make us throw our hands in the air and question God's good design. What it should make us do is recognize how sin and death are an enemy. And one of the reasons we hate them is because it forces husbands and wives into roles. It is not a, a man's responsibility to teach his daughters about their menstrual cycle, right? And yet there are single fathers who have to do that because of what sin has done, either through a broken relationship, divorce, sin, accidents, death, all that kind of stuff. And so absolutely, let's not let the exceptions become the rules. Let's let yeah. the exceptions be exceptions. Yeah. I, I would also say like war is an extreme exception because like in Canada, for instance, there's not very many people who have gone to war in our lifetime. In our generation, yeah. um, You know what I mean? In our generation, that's not a thing, um, really. The same would not apply, though, to the father who just works too much. You know what I mean? Good the, point. The, the father point, who's yeah. just abdicated his role just because he's, right. he's busy all the time. So and that's so, actually like, a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. So the idea is like, what a man goes off to war and leaves a void in the home in terms of male responsibility and male headship Sometimes when people are pointing to those kinds of extreme exceptions, they're looking for a way out of right now when it's just dad's away a lot. He happens to have a job where he travels a lot. He happens to have a job where he does whatever. And I would say those are different categories. We can't put those in the same thing. So don't point to the extreme example to justify your lesser sinful example. Does that yeah, make sense? Ab absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In the question, I can't, I don't know if it was a girl or a guy that sent that in. They made the comment that we're pre World War II, or, yeah. and I would just say yes. no post World like, <laughs> War II, pre pre nineteen seventies model, yeah, yes, totally. One thing I think all people have to recognize is that like God doesn't change, which means what He laid out in His Word of gender roles and how things work hasn't changed. That's been the same since the foundation of the world. As you mentioned earlier, sin has corrupted our world to the point where. It's now actually abnormal when a woman stays home all the time. That was never the design. So the fact that we have to have two incomes to support our families and things like that weren't how God intended this world. And so since 1970, yes, our world is more sinful yeah. and it looks m much worse, but we can't use what we see around us to inform how we think things that God instituted like marriage should work. So like when that question comes in that like we're heading to a pre-1970s I'm like, amen, I want to go back even further. Let's go back to the Reformation time. You know what I mean? like, because what did we see at that time? A heck of a lot more morals in our society. Yeah. What did we not have? We didn't have the alphabet mafia at that time. We didn't right. have babies being sacrificed to Moloch at the rate that they are being sacrificed today. Yeah. So maybe we could stand to have a little bit more focus on the family and women at home, men who are taking dominion in their families 
leading well. Yeah, and I think part of the root from this comes, uh, and we have a question that sort of relates to that one. So there's a whole other side of like, did we stretch this beyond Scripture? And we'll get to that question because it, it, it corresponds with another question that came in. But what I would say is that this comes from this idea, and I think too many Christians have conceded ground in this area, where we would say, oh, third-wave feminism is evil. Second-wave feminism was kind of off-base, but like first-wave feminism was good. That was a good and godly thing. Women should have had the right to vote and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to say some unpopular things right now, but I would just say, let's just think this through for a second. Women's right to vote. What did that actually do? Okay. And so I, I get that there's a bunch of women with the hair standing up on the back of their necks right now. Like, just hear me out. Just chill for just a second. I love... Which, which never goes well with a woman, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Just... <laughs> yeah. Tell her to calm down. That's, just that's it. Gonna... We should do an episode after this where it's just like all the things not to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. The mistakes um, Pootie has made. <laughs> <laughs> or Nate, as it, as it turns out. No, no. But here's what I would just say. Fundamentally, it wasn't that women were so degraded that they weren't given a right to vote as if their citizenship didn't matter. The whole idea was that a man would vote for his household, right? We had this idea of representative leadership. We had this idea of federal headship, right? Which I think is a very biblical quality. And so the husbands, with conversations with their wives, with conversations with their daughters, they would make a vote for their household. And so some of those civil rights where it's like, oh, women get the right to vote, that becomes redundant if a husband and wife are on the same page. And so that's what happened there was this idea that a woman needs to be separate from her man. Well, that's actually not a biblical model. What is the high goal of marriage? According to Ephesians 5, according to Genesis 2, what is it? It's the two shall become one flesh. It happens physically in the act of sex. We talked about this last episode, but it means the blending together of spiritual, emotional, like all of those things. And so the idea that the woman didn't have a right to vote isn't even an accurate way to describe it. It was that the husband voted for his household. Now, were there households where the husband was domineering and abusive? Absolutely, there were, but there still are. It's not like feminism fixed that, but what it did do is it separated husbands and wives to the point where what happened had to happen in second wave feminism, no fault divorce. Why? Because the husbands and wives didn't have to be on the same page to vote or to represent their household or their families to society. So now the logical conclusion is, well, we should be able to have no fault divorce. What was the famous line? No, no woman should be a slave to a loveless marriage. And it's like, what have they just done? They've, they've elevated the emotions, the feelings of romanticism and elevated them above the idea of biblical covenant, which is what marriage actually is. As soon as we said women should have a right to vote, we undermined the goal of marriage to be one. We undermined the man's responsibility to lead his wife and to help her in terms of like leading her to sanctification, all those kinds of things, which are part of when, when a husband and wife are talking about politics and direction of society and bearing responsibility for the, the welfare of a nation. Those are all sanctifying conversations. And now husband can go privately into his booth, wife can go privately into her booth, and they can vote for different parties. And that's absurd, yeah, right? It's, it's, it's not marriage. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely absurd. I can tell you a story without saying any names of where this has gone horribly wrong. In the last federal election, two people I know were on different pages of who they should vote for. And so they were putting up competing signs on their on their yards 
one would go out in the next morning, take the other one down. Then the next one, it would like every day there was a different sign because they were like having a war about who was to vote. And they ended up getting divorced because of it. And it's like, if you guys can't figure out who's leading and who's yeah. like talk this if issue ideologically, and, you're so divided that you can't get to the same place here. It just shows that there's a fundamental not becoming oneness in your marriage. Exactly. Because like, I, I want to make sure people don't hear what we're not saying. We're not saying the man just decides who who's no, going to be who's going right. to be voted for and that. dictates to everybody in the house that we're conservative so therefore no it's a conversation that makes a decision decision is made and maybe there's tie breaking authority or whatever and we can talk about it later but you've come to a consensus so the male represents his house when he casts his vote for these are the people in my home, including likely a male child. So it's not restricted just to sex. We're saying if you live at home as a, as a young man, you don't have a right to vote either. You no. know what I mean? In my opinion. Yeah. And so he's casting that vote on behalf of his whole family. That's right. It's um, household. Ex- exactly. And that's the whole thing. So, so what fundamentally switched with first wave feminism was sort of something that was going through in general, but society stopped being looked at as a complex structure of various households to a complex structure of various individuals. And that's a problem, right? Because God instituted family, and family looks different. There are different types of families. They come in all shapes and sizes, right? So we're not talking about just the nuclear family. Like there is sin in our world. So there's accidents and, and husbands go off to war and die and wives die in car crashes and cancer is a thing and infertility is a thing. But the point here is, is that society is made up of families. Society is not made up of individuals because within households, there ought to be unity, which is actually the beautiful thing about a church. A church is a household of households. And so it ought to be reflective of that same sort of unity. No wonder churches can't get along when families who comprise the various churches can't even get along in this in this sort of regard. So anything else you want to say on that? No, I feel like we, like we just already canceled everybody. So it's fine. <laughs> well, okay. So, so the second part of like, are we stretching scripture beyond where it actually goes kind of ties in with this other question that came in. And, and that question is like, okay, so in Genesis one, right before the cultural mandate, Genesis one actually talks about the creation of man and woman in the image of God, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Verse 26 of Genesis one, let us make man in our image. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female he created them and then verse 28 and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea so the question is have you arbitrarily taken something that seems to be given to both of them husbands and wives and then you say men are made for dominion and women are made for homemaking so have you sort of ignored the plain teaching of scripture so in a way you're sort of being asked the same question have you gone beyond the bounds of scripture and I would just say no and here's why because Interestingly, if you fast forward then to Genesis chapter 2, you get a zoom in on the creation order. And so God's law was given to Adam, right? Adam was the only one who was created when the command to not eat of the fruit was given to him. And so when Eve comes along and the serpent tempts her, Eve is relying on what's been conveyed to her from Adam. And the whole process, why is it that God gave Adam the mandate to name all the animals? 
naming, biblically speaking, and elsewhere, but certainly biblically speaking, naming something implies authority over it, right? When God grabs a hold of somebody, you're not Abram, you're Abraham. You're not Jacob, you are Israel. He renames them because he's showing his authority over them and his plans and his purposes for them. So all the animals are brought to Adam. Adam names all of them, and a helper there is not fit for him. So he does need something or someone in order to fulfill the cultural mandate, and that's when a helper, it says, fit for him is found, and that's an Eve. And Eve, of course, is taken out of the side of Adam, which just is a beautiful, just fast forward, you think about this, the first Eve was made out of the side of the first Adam, and then the church is called the Bride of Christ, which is washed in the blood of Christ and also cleansed by the water of Christ, which comes out of his side when he's pierced by the Roman spear. And so out of the second Adam's side, the second bride is formed. But the other thing that it just logically flows from the text, and this is why, by the way, Genesis is so under attack. This is why ministries like Answers in Genesis with our good friend Cal Smith is such an important ministry. But in Genesis chapter 3, you see that God comes and he curses everybody involved in the fall. Curses the serpent, curses the woman, curses the man. And what's interesting about that is how does he curse them? She's cursed in her ability to bring forth life, right? In pain, now you're going to bear children. And he's cursed in his ability to what? Cultivate the land, take dominion of the world around him. With thorns and thistles come up, and with pain and toil will it yield its fruit to him. So the idea is that they are cursed in relation to their role within the creational mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion over it. Who's primarily responsible for the fruitfulness? We see based on how she's cursed, it was Eve. Who is primarily responsible for the conquering and the moving out and the taking dominion? It's Adam because his curse is involved in the toiling of the soil. So I don't think we've stretched this beyond scripture at all. I think it logically follows when you take the whole creation narrative into account, not just where this one verse falls after another verse. So if I could sum all of that up, because that was brilliant. <laughs> Please do. Sin ruined it. So yeah, like, yeah, what, was, right. what was created was created with a purpose and a, and, an, and a structure and an organization that was perfect and wonderful. And sin ruined it. Because the other part of the curse to Eve is that she's going to want his authority. She's going to want yes. his role, which means like by nature in our sin, women are going to try to become like man. They're going to try to take what he was given and use it. So they're going to want leadership, power, authority over him. That is part of scripture. I would say we're not stretching this too far. I would actually say we're, we're not stretching it far enough. I, I, would, probably, I, to I, say I, I would probably say yes. Like if you if you want to go back to <laughs> oh, to, to some double and down uh, some Bible times. Like I would say I would say most if all of a sudden Moses or Elijah walked in, they would probably give us a letter in terms of like how we should be doing some some right. stuff different. Right. So I would say if anything, one of the beautiful things I think is happening in the church right now, not our church, the the a lot of churches like that are like minded, is the reclaiming of biblical manhood. Yeah. And yes, there are people who will take this too far and they'll become tyrants. And yep. that's we're going to correct that just as harshly, if not that's more right. harshly, yep. than we are the weak and the soft. But like one of the beautiful things that's happening in this in our culture, I would say right now, is that while Genesis is under attack, while gender roles are under attack, manhood is starting to reassert itself because as something gets under attack, the Spirit of God is going to work to push that. So we're seeing young men asking the question, how do I be a man biblically? Yeah. Which was not something I heard 15 years ago. That wasn't no. a thing. No. It was different questions. And but like, and as we come under attack, men are starting to reassert themselves in the, in the correct way. And I think that's 
long term good for the family because as the family goes, so goes society. Right. So two follow-up questions that spin off of this that I think are good questions, and I do want to be clear on how we answer them. So the first would be, are women not meant to cultivate or to take dominion in areas? So the thought is that I often speak on, and we often speak on the idea of like putting all areas of life under the foot of Jesus in victory, which means art, which means film, which means literature, all that kind of stuff. Are women not meant to take dominion in those spheres like men are? And I think that's a great question. So what I would just say is that the absolutely the dominion mandate is given to the husband and wife, right? It is given to the husband and wife. Now, what we are saying is that how that is accomplished plays itself out differently. Like the men take on the conquering role, the women take on the life cultivating role, right? Now, does that mean that a, a woman who is a gifted writer or a gifted artist can't look to conquer in the realms of art and literature? No, not at all. Absolutely they can, right? Absolutely they can. We're not saying that they shouldn't, and we're not even saying that they shouldn't aspire to. What we are saying is that there is a specific mandate that is given to men that when they understand that this is what they're for, this is where men thrive. When I think of areas where Colleen, my wife, has been encouraged to be a little bit more assertive and to have this dominion mandate in terms of her spheres of influence at work and in the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff, it's not something that is as exciting to her. It's something that takes work for her. But yes, absolutely, she's called to it as well. And so if there are gifted writers and gifted artists out there, yes, absolutely. Part of all of our mandate is to put everything underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. But what we are saying is that that does not come at the expense of offering your primary calling on the altar. Do you know what I mean? You don't sacrifice your primary calling in order to fulfill the secondary calling. So that woman who is a gifted writer Praise God. Like, that's actually a wonderful skill that you can cultivate within your home. You don't have to go to a nine-to-five job in order to write really, really well. You don't have to go to a nine-to-five job in order to be a really great artist. And so praise God that those are actually really good, providentially, examples in this question of two areas where women ought to cultivate the dominion mandate because their primary calling is still familial. It's still within the home. It's still cultivating a home. Yeah, I would say, I think you're hitting the right note there. The mandate is still the roles in the home. You know what I mean? Yep. Things like art and literature are secondary dominion aspects, right? So like we would say, let's put this on ourselves. So if I'm a great baseball player, I can't devote my entire life to being in the, in the major leagues at the expense of being a good father, being right. a good husband, because that is my primary That's right. role. My primary thing as a man is to be a good father, to be a good husband. And my secondary vocation is to be the means of how I provide for my family, because God is less interested in the means and the method of how you put food on the table. He's more concerned that the food gets put on the table as long as you're not sinfully providing it. Because if you're taking care of your son and your wife at that point. So I would say like, for instance, if you're a super talented businessman who goes out and is like, you know, savvy, always finds a way to monetize everything. We all know these guys, right? They're, they're flashy. But if you're doing all that and you're like, oh, I'm providing for my family excellently, but if you're doing that at the detriment of a relationship with your son, teaching him how to be a man, your time with your wife, then you've, you've failed in your mandate, even if you're successful in business. Right. 
likewise a woman, if your home life suffer, if your husband doesn't know you, doesn't like, doesn't have like you, there's no relational connection. Your kids don't know you, you know, you're never at home to, because you're out doing the art and doing the literature all the time, you fail that you're right. all too. Right. Yeah. Again, we could caveat this way. Oh, what, what happens if I don't have kids and we both work? Oh, that's a different scenario. Let's talk about your scenario specifically because there's still rules that you have to fulfill for each other. Totally. Um, but like generally speaking, we're not saying you can't be good at stuff. We're yeah. saying actually, I think what we're really saying is that if you access the way God has really designed women to work and women to live, this is going to be the more fulfilling life that you're going to live as you still accomplish things in art and literature and, and whatnot, the Proverbs 31 woman. Yeah. She's working inside the home, outside the home. Exactly. She's selling things. She's out in the city. She's like, exactly. yeah, she's awesome, right? And she does all these things. And so we're not saying every wife has to be the at-home, homeschooling, making sourdough bread from scratch, you know, making her own pasta sauces, canning crushed tomatoes or whatever she's doing. Like, we're not saying she has to be Little House on the Prairie wife. We're not saying that. I find it funny because, like, I think for people who don't know us in real life, yeah, probably think that that's what we're describing. Like, that they, like our wives are at home with their heads covered, wearing, like, brown dresses, and they <laughs> yeah. don't ever speak in Barefoot public. Barefoot and pregnant and all it's like, the time. And it's like, no, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. And I would say we celebrate that fact. And it's like, no, that's not what we're saying at all. We're not asking for somebody to be silent and submissive. Submission is one of those things they, they choose who, to be submissive to. But it's like submission is a willing obedience, a willing like sacrifice of like priorities or whatnot. But it doesn't mean that they're passive. It doesn't mean that no, they're like No, neither of our wives are passive. <laughs> no, right? not, not yeah. at all. And they, and they are hungry and thirsty for the things of righteousness, they find ways to put their hands to the plow to build yeah. the kingdom. They Busy just in their homes, but they recognize that their primary way they do that is helping us in our ministries. You know what I mean? Like, because our ministries aren't my ministry and her ministry, it's our ministries. That's right. That's right. Right. And Household think, mission. It goes back to that second yeah, episode. And I think we, we talked had, about yeah. it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. And and I would also say, so that kind of leads into another question that was asked. And that that is like, by nature, a woman who is more assertive and a bit more blunt and a bit more bold, is that an ungodly characteristic? Is that an ungodly quality? If we were saying, because we said in one of our episodes, I can't remember which one now at this point, that men are hard, they're assertive, they take initiative, women are... are by contrast, soft and submissive and receptive and all that kind of stuff. Does that mean that a woman who is assertive is necessarily sinning? No, not necessarily. But I would also say that I think a woman ought to cultivate gentleness. Now, gentleness is a fruit of spirit. Men should also cultivate gentleness, but it's a different kind of gentleness. So the whole idea here is not that a woman who is by nature a little bit more assertive, a little bit more aggressive. My daughter just started playing soccer. She actually played last year, and she was a little bit timid last year. And then this year when she was playing soccer, we were saying to her, like, you're good. Like, go after the ball a little bit more. Be hungry for the ball. Like, we're encouraging her to be assertive in some ways, right? But we're not saying that women have to be unassertive, lazy homebodies. That's not what we're saying at all. In fact, Scripture actually compels women to build her home and be busy in it, remain busy in it, right? Like, that's actually part of Scripture. And so the whole idea here is, no, it's not a sin for a woman to be assertive, but what we are saying is, by the nature of the fall, men who are meant to be assertive will want to abdicate that role because of what sin does. And women who are, by nature, gentle— are because of the fall going to want to play the more assertive, more take initiative role. So combat that nature because you have been given a new nature if you are in fact a Christian, right? And so you need to put those old deeds of the flesh to death. 
Does that makes sense? Absolutely. So we're fighting against the everybody loves Raymond. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely what we're fighting against. So I think we kind of hit on all these questions. We did have one question that's sort of kind of related. This is obviously from somebody who hasn't maybe listened to all of our episodes, so it's totally fine, but we'll answer the question. So if the, the idea is that within the home, there's this idea of male headship. What does that look like within the church? This person asked, you know, I've, I've heard different teaching around quote-unquote women being quote-unquote pastors <laughs> of a church, and then they just asked if we could help unpack some of the context around this. So the theological position here is complementarianism. We have a couple of episodes a couple of months back where we talked about complementarianism to patriarchy. I, I would just say that men are meant to, are commanded to lead, I would say, in the home, in the church, and in the culture. So we don't even have to go to the culture <laughs> since we were asked that question, but I would say that there are certain things, combat roles, policing, these kinds of things that I would actually encourage women to stay away from certain professions. I would also encourage men to stay away from certain professions. But certainly we're asked the question within the church. I think it's very, very clear. Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, very clear that the office of elder slash pastor slash overseer, all the same word in the New Testament, is reserved for men, right? The husband of one wife. It's a gender-specific calling, a gender-specific specific office. So as leadership within the home reflects out to the various subspheres, right? So family is the primary, but it goes uh, leadership within the home, spills over into leadership within the church, leadership within the society, all that kind of stuff. We would say that leadership role is reserved for men. Amen. And some people hear that harshly, like, why is it reserved? It's restricted to men too, because we have six different qualifications we have to hit, right? Like yeah. there's, he must be the husband of one wife. There's, he can't be a lover of money. He has to be gentle, has to be hospitable. Like, yeah. Manage your own household well, can't have unbelieving children living in the home, uh, disobedient children, you know, all that kind of must stuff. Must be able to refute sound, do- sound yeah. doctrine, or sorry, <laughs> defend sound yeah. doctrine. Refute, refute sound doctrine. That'd be, that'd be like, easy. Yeah. Um, but, no, but I mean, like, the, the idea is, like, we focus in sometimes, and we hyper-focus in on the one no that women get, where there's, like, no, we're also saying that many men that's achieve right. this. Yeah, so right. most men don't get to this point. Is it James that says, and it's good that not yeah, all of not you do. not all of you should be teachers. Um, yeah. Because... Like we will be judged harder. We'll be judged more strictly. So I don't know the person's situation. Um, I don't even know who sent that question in about in terms of like women preacher. I just would say there's no such thing of a woman pastor. Just like we would say there's no such thing as gay marriage. Um, It's gay mirage. There's no such thing as a woman pastor. And if you're in a church where the only person who's qualified to speak into a microphone is a female, you're not in a church. You're in a social club. Then the the answer to that is turn off the microphones. Yes. And And, and pray that either God sends you a qualified man or you go find a church where there is a qualified man. Because... At the end of the day, and, and I've heard it before, I've heard it from uh, women who I have been good friends of mine who felt a call to ministry and all that kind of stuff, and we parted ways. But the thought is, well, what if this is what I'm called to do? And I would just say, God doesn't call people to areas where he's put restrictions on, right? That's kind of the same argument that a man could say, you know, well, God made me gay. So, you know, what's that to say, right? Did God make a mistake? Did God, right? It's, it's the same thing. God puts boundaries in place, and he does not call us to cross those boundaries. And he's put those in place for a reason. And some of this has to do with how he's differently created men and women. And some of it has to do with how he's ordered his church and all kinds of various things. But I think there's some people, and I would say there's lots of men we know who have missed their calling. They were called to be missionaries. They were called to be evangelists, but they find themselves into the pulpit because in our society, we've created that as a a career, not a calling. Like, Was it Spurgeon that said, like, if you can fathom doing any other job than than being a preacher, do the other job? We have this idea that, like, I think there are plenty of women who have been called to missions who 
find their way and they have to explain away clear teaching of scripture because like they feel the burden for ministry. Yeah. But that's a good point. In our culture, we don't yeah. have other options for them. And I, I just think we just need to be better thinking like helping women get plugged in where they're actually passionate and called to. Yeah. You know? And like, so, and I would say, okay, so I do want to be sympathetic. I don't want to come across as like unpastoral or hard nosed on that stuff at the expense of speaking softly to some of the women who are listening to us. So I'd say two things. Number one, your husband's lack of leadership might make you find yourself in a place where your family does not have mission and ministry. And that's a problem. That's his sin. And so don't exasperate that sin by now stepping outside of your God-given. If that's true, then what you need to do is lovingly and respectfully challenging your husband and challenge him to go and get mentored by a good godly man who will tell him that he's actually robbing you of ministry and mission because your family does not have a mission. So I think some women are being sanctified at a faster rate than their husbands and they get frustrated because their husbands are not leading their home in terms of mission and ministry and therefore the lack of ministry or the lack of mission actually makes them seek out a position that ought not to be theirs. So that's one thing that I would say. And the second thing I would say about that is that remember that we are living in a society that has such systemic sin that we've actually lost some of the things that gave women mission and ministry and work to do just by the way of what we've abdicated in terms of household responsibilities. So remember that the household calling within Scripture is to a a household where there's productivity, right? You didn't leave to go to work. Husbands didn't leave to go to work for their nine-to-five, which meant that both husband and wife were both home, disciplining children, raising children, educating children. So in some ways, we're fighting against something simply because of the culture that we live in. I don't think it's designed that men should be leaving the home to go to work. I think we have some episodes on this at some point, right? If, if not, go and read Household in the War for the Cosmos by C.R. Wiley. And it's great at just the idea of trying to reclaim the ancient or the biblical household. And the ancient household was not just a place of wreck and leisure where we sleep. It was a place where that was where business was located. That's where health and welfare were located. Those were schools, education centers, right? They were missions centers. They were everything, right? Because the household was more than just where you slept and where you ate. It was the place where, because there wasn't public school and there wasn't factories where men could go to work throughout the night. There wasn't all that stuff. So so in some ways, women are bearing the sins of a church that has abdicated its role and not fought for a biblical household. By God's grace, I think we're starting to reclaim a productive household. A a podcast I would encourage all of you to listen to is Bright Hearth Podcast with Brian and Lexi Sauvé. But the idea of reclaiming productive or biblical households is actually another thing where women have been shortchanged because all the things that made the household such an interesting place to spend your day have been taken out and offloaded to the civil government. And that's not right either. I just want to throw those two things in there for those women who are feeling frustrated by some of these realities. Part of your frustration is because of what sin has done to our world. So by God's grace, hopefully your husband is leading you in reclaiming a productive and biblical household where there is a whole lot more exciting mission to take place. Amen. All right. Well, if you're still listening, <laughs> we are the Rebels, and any questions can go to Nate. At <laughs> yeah, <that's> a- <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed that. Have a great one. Bye.